Good evening, everyone. Good to have you back in the service again tonight. I really, really appreciate your presence. And uh, when it comes to what Brother Glenn said here, I guess it's another reminder that I better be careful what I say because people remember that for over 40 years. Wow. Well, Brother Glenn and I have had a close relationship over all those years, and I think one of the reasons is because uh, we both have a common interest when it comes to music and uh, really appreciate music and, and uh, particularly music that is well sung and well done. And so that certainly helps bind us together as well. But it's been a real joy to be associated with him for all these years and uh, continuing to make new friends and uh, other acquaintances as well. That's also a wonderful thing. So it's really good to be able to be here with you this evening and hopefully we'll hear from the Lord again tonight. Um, I want to move away just a little bit from the, from the kind of a topic that lends itself to the coming of the Lord and so forth. I hope that doesn't disappoint some of you. But it seemed, it seemed right to me today, I feel a little bit like some of the New Testament conferences, it seemed right to us and the Holy Spirit, you know, is the way they put that, a couple different places there in Corinthians. I, um, it just seemed right between me and the Holy Spirit that we, we do something a little bit different tonight, and we'll come back to the other again tomorrow night, okay? But for tonight, I want to talk about something that is um, pretty important in my mind and something we need to all be aware of, and that is, our title for tonight is Bear One Another's Burdens. Uh, are going to be, we're going to be taking some of our remarks here from Galatians chapter 6. If you want to turn there, you can follow along. I'm reading from the King James. It's not that I don't like any other uh, translation. It's not that I've been using this because um, basically the reason I still use King James is because if I happen to know anything at all by heart, that's the translation I know it in. And so rather than try to learn it in some other translation, I just continue to use the King James. And besides that... Um, I was taking some uh, Hebrew language classes here a number of years ago in a local community college, and the uh, rabbi that was teaching those things uh, made a comment one evening that I, I don't think I'll ever forget. And he actually spoke up and defended the King James translation. I was surprised that he would do that, but he did. And he said, you'll have to give it this. He said, the, the majesty of the language lends itself to the message of the book. The, the majesty of the language lends itself to the to the message of the book. Uh, I don't think I'll ever forget that. There is something about that, but there's also something about being able to understand everything you read too, though, isn't there? So we need some of the other translations as well. I have a number of different translations and, and use them all the time, but as one of my preacher friends said, the King James is my pulpit Bible for the very same reason. He knows it by heart, it's in here. So we're going to be reading this evening for a bit in, in Galatians chapter 6. And again, the topic for this evening is bearing one another's burdens. And I, I'm hoping here this evening that we can generate some feeling. I'm, I'm satisfied you take care of each other. I'm satisfied you do step in and bear each other's burdens as you move along. But I want to put some more emphasis on here this evening because it is so important that we look out for each other and display the love of Christ in the way that we do things in taking care of one another. And by the way, uh, even though we are very independent, uh, we're all born that way. We don't, wanna, you know, we don't want people trying to help us if it's not totally necessary. And we begin that when we're just really, really small. I mean, anybody that's ever had any children, you, you already know that you can feed them in the high chair and, until they get to be a certain age, and then they grab the spoon, and they're going to feed themselves, whether they can do it or not. It doesn't make any difference. And so we have that spirit of independence that comes over us at a very young age. And I, I happen to be one of those people that finds it really, really difficult, unless I'm doing it in a very um, general way, I find it difficult to ask people to pray for me. I, I, I have no idea why that is. It's just that 
That's the way it happens to be. And when I tell you to pray for me in the evening, that's easy to do. There's a whole bunch of you. But if I'm talking to you one-on-one, it's just kind of hard to... I, I, don't, I, I don't know why it is that way. I'm just telling you that's the way it is. That's the way it is. But we need to take care of each other, and we need to bear each other's burdens. So let me read for you, beginning in Gen, uh, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. And the first 10 verses is where we're going to be dwelling on. It says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of weakness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. It may be a little bit hard to understand. Another translation might help there. And he goes on in verse 5 to say that it's every man shall bear his own burden. I believe what he's talking about here is simply that we do have a responsibility. We can't just give it all to everybody else. We, too, have a responsibility in doing the kinds of things that are necessary to take care of ourselves. And in verse 6, he goes on to say, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived. God is not marked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. I want to go back into the first verse here, or the second verse in particular. But the first verse gives you an illustration of someone that has been overtaken in a fault. And, and by the way... Um, we really could move into a backsliding kind of a message here this evening, starting here and moving from some other places. And when he talks about being overtaken in a fault, this is not your normal kind of backsliding here. This, have you ever seen somebody fall? And it did seem like it only took a split second for it to happen? Because uh, there's a, there is a truism here at play, and that is that um, an unknown weakness coupled together with an opportune time produces a result sometimes that is just simply disastrous. And when, for example, Peter, when Peter uh, fell like he did, um, denied Christ three different times, you see any falling away in his life that went on for another, for a week, and maybe a month, and maybe for a whole year, and, and he was just falling away and gradually, gradually, gradually going down. No, it's not that way. He was ready to follow Christ to the death, and he proved that by pulling out his sword and attempting to take that man's head off. He only got the ear, but, but he, he succeeded partly. But then he was totally defeated when Jesus picked the ear up and just stuck it back on the side of his head and everything was okay again. Well, Peter, I'm telling you, was a very brave kind of an individual and he didn't take no guff off of anybody. And so uh, he'd have been willing to die for Christ. He'd let him have his sword so he could fight. He'd have been willing to go to the very death for Christ. That's the way Peter was. And yet when Peter came into contact with a few people in the courtyard of Caiaphas, uh, there was a, a couple of ladies, I believe, and maybe there was another man there. I kind of forget the exact order of it, but... They said, uh, you're with him. You're one of them. No, 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 no. Uh. And by the time he was done the third time, he was cursing. There is no big, long lead up to that. There is no falling away leading up to that. It's like he just fell just right off the edge of the cliff. That's what he's talking about here. It's a, a, a word picture would be like this. If you ever watch any of those nature programs on National Geographic or something like that, and you probably have seen it right where an antelope or whatever is running for its life, and there's, a, and there's a lion coming along behind. There was a little saying. It was on a poster in one of the plumbing inspector's offices that showed something like that one, one time. Let me see if I can put that together for you. Every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up realizing he has to run faster 
than the slowest, excuse me, yeah, he has to run faster than the fastest line in order to be able to save his life that day. And every morning in Africa, when the sun comes up, a lion comes back to life again. He wakes up and he realizes he's got to run faster than the slowest gazelle in order to be able to survive for the day. So the point of the whole thing is when you're in Africa in the morning, you better run. That's the whole idea of the whole thing. Well, just to, now you won't forget what I'm going to tell you, I hope anyway. But what's happening here is a situation where the gazelle is running for his life and the lion at the very last moment makes that extraordinary leap and jumps right up onto his back and brings him down. That's what we're talking about here. Didn't take a whole lot of falling away. It just simply took some higher or something more powerful than yourself, I should put it like that, to bring you down. And he's saying here, this man's in trouble. And that means that we need to help him out. Those that are spiritual, restore him. Considering yourself, because it could have been you. And then bear one another's burdens. Well, listen, folks. Let's get some information out of this verse. There's a lot packed in here. First of all, we all have burdens. There isn't a person sitting here this evening that doesn't have a burden or hasn't had a burden. Maybe at the moment you don't have one. But somewhere along the line, you've had burdens that you've had to bear. The Bible doesn't say, look around and find somebody with a burden. It simply says, everybody's got a burden. That's the way it reads. We all have burdens. Bear ye one of those burdens. It's assumed we all have burdens. So you don't have to go looking for somebody with a burden. Just find somebody that um, will admit to having one. That's about all you have to do. And so we all have burdens. Whether we're talking about spiritual failures, whether we're talking about emotional weaknesses, or even physical difficulties. We all have burdens. And when you put that together with the fact that most of us are too timid or bashful, shy, whatever, to ask anybody for help, we sort of just trudge along, plod after one foot after the other, trying to make it through whatever kind of a situation we happen to be in. We all have burdens, and at times they come right up to the forefront. Furthermore, out of this verse, we understand that we are to bear one another's burdens. Now, I want to tell you something that happens far too often. is when somebody has a problem, and we all want to be helpful, and so we'll say to that person, there's something really, really wrong. For example, I, I had a, a preacher buddy of mine that had a heart attack, the first one, and he survived that one, but he was in the hospital, and he was really, really serious, and they didn't know if he was going to live or not. And so... His board of elders came in, and he was a bivocational fellow. He had never really um, learned how to manage money, the greatest in the world, and so he spent his life as a bivocational pastor always in debt, and that happens far too often. But that's what happened there. So he's still making house payments. He still owed money to people and all of that, so he wasn't independently wealthy. And when he had a heart attack and had to go to the hospital, and there he is, not sure if he's going to live or die, this man has a burden. He has to make payments. He has to put food on the table. And his board of elders came in and had the audacity to stand there in front of him and say, if there's anything we can do, you let us know. Why, if I'd have been there at a wax carnal, I'll tell you that. What are you talking about? This man is laying here. We don't know if he's going to live or die. What do you mean if there's anything you can do? In my opinion, they should have come in there and said, when your wife, I started to call her name, and then you know who she is, or he is, or was because he had another heart attack and didn't make it on that one. But at any rate, they should have come in there and said, we want your house payment book. If you've got a car payment, we want your payment book for that. 
Here's money. We brought cash along so your wife can go back and forth to the hospital and take care of the necessary things that have come up because of where you are today. They could have done all kinds of things like that and taken care of that brother and borne his burden with him. Instead of that, stand there and say, is there anything, if there's anything we can do? It doesn't do it. It doesn't do it. Now, I will readily admit that there are times when we are completely at a loss as to know how to respond to people. And there are a few times that I have experienced where about all I knew to do was to say, look, whatever I can do, I'll do it. You know, whatever. Because I had no idea what to do. But when it's as obvious as that, get your checkbook out, get your wallet out, take some time off if you need to, and help your brother. The scriptures are clear. We are to bear one of those burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Well, that one wasn't the greatest response in the world, I can tell you that. When it comes to bearing each other's burdens, let me just tell you that to do that would be to emulate Jesus. Jesus bore our burdens. Let me turn back to Romans for just a moment here. Romans chapter 15, verses 1 to 3. Here's what it says. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let me, before I even read the other two verses, let me stop a moment. Why do I have, I won't even pick on you, why do I have the things that I have? Are they just for me? Is there some other reason that God would bless me with the ability to have things, to live comfortably? Some other reason for that? Back in the days, I'm not, I hope I'm not stepping on anybody's toes here tonight, but years ago, when I was going around preaching more than what I do now, there used to be this Amway thing going around where you'd sign everybody up underneath you you could, and you have uplines and lowlines, and I'm not sure what all lines you had, but anyway, there was all kinds of, it was a pyramid kind of a thing, you know, and, and everybody could make money on that. I had a lot of people come after me during those years, whether they were Amway people or Conklin people or some other thing, because they said, and they would come and unabashedly say, you know, you get around a lot in all these churches. Man, you could sell this stuff, and you could really make some money. I'm sharing the Lord Jesus, and I'm not about to mix him up with Amway and Conklin and everything else. It'd be totally unethical to do something like that. But the sales pitch that came along with it was, wouldn't you like to be out at the ocean every weekend? No, I live by the ocean. We don't go. <laughs> wouldn't you like to be up in the mountains every weekend? No. I want to be in church with my brothers and sisters. That's not a, that's not a lifestyle that I care about at all. Not at all. What I'm saying is, I want to be where I can do what emulates Jesus, what makes me look like him, so to speak. And here it says, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. I'm not here to toot my own horn, folks. I get people asking me all the time, aren't you retired yet? No, I'm not retired yet. No. Why not? I give them a sobering answer. If I did, I wouldn't have what I need to help other people with. That's why. And I'm honest about that. 
We have what we have because somebody else needs it. Think of that. In verse 2, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproach thee fell on me. To take care of other people, to help them when they're down, provide for their burdens and all of that, to do that is what Jesus did. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's Jesus. That's what I want to be like. That's what I want to be doing. You'll remember that back in the, um, almost in the very beginning of time, back in the Garden of Eden experience, in fact, why uh, you'll remember it was actually it was outside of the Garden of Eden because Cain and Abel were born after that experience. But in Genesis chapter 4, I believe it is, where you'll find out that, that um, they offered an offering. Remember that? Abel offered an offering. Cain offered an offering. It says that God accepted uh, Abel's offering, but he didn't accept Cain's. And Cain, instead of repenting and doing his own offering the way he should have, he decided to do away with, with uh, Abel. And so he killed him. Rose up against him in the field and he killed him. And then God came in the cool of the day. And he couldn't find Cain. Where are you? And then he wanted to know, where's your brother Abel? Am I my brother's keeper? In short, yes. Yes, you are. But he did ask that question. Even though he wasn't honest about it, he just simply asked the question, am I my brother's keeper? I'd ask you again this evening, are we our brother's keepers? And I would tell you absolutely, yes, we are our brother's keepers. First John 3, verses 16 to 18. Whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how then dwelleth the love of God in him? If I have it and they need it and I won't give it, that's pretty clear that I don't have the love of God. I don't have it. It also says this in Galatians 6 and verse 10. We just read it. Do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. You know, the day is going to come when every one of us is going to have to have somebody to help us. Every one of us. There isn't a person here. You may, you may be totally healthy and have been all of your life, and I'm telling you the day will come when somebody's going to have to help you. I lived a life that was very free of physical problems and difficulties. When I got to be into my 60s and started having a few problems and difficulties, I didn't even have a doctor. I went to the doctor. Uh, I found one, and I went to the doctor for a problem I was having, and they had to send me for some, some tests, and, and I didn't. It was a heart stress test. I had to go for it. What do you, what do you wear to a heart stress? I, don't, I, don't, what, I had no idea of anything about medical things. I found out since then, of course. That's rather disconcerting, brother. You know what? Let me just tell you what happens when you get old. You go in there to have this heart stress thing done, you know, and then they give you this form to fill out. It has right on there your name, your address, your religion. Oh, well, I'm a Christian. I'm not a Christian, but I'm a Christian. Um, next of kin. What, what do you mean next of kin? You think I'm going to die in here? I asked them that. You really think, am I going to die in here? They said, we've seen it happen. Quite encouraging it was. <laughs> but I'm just saying, 
I lived all those years with no problems, and all of a sudden I had a problem. And problems went on from there. And I discovered firsthand, we will all need somebody to lean on sometime. Because we are all subject to human frailties. We are all subject to Satan's attacks. And we are all subject to unexpected circumstances of horrific proportions. A bunch of you folks are on Facebook. I know you are because I see you. But I want to tell you a story. When we are dependent upon other people and we, can, we come to the end of ourselves and we need somebody besides us. I was in the hospital with a porcelain gallbladder removal that everybody said would take a day or two and you'd be right back to work. Ten days later was when I came out of the hospital. And down close to the end of that ten days... I hit a day when they had a problem in the office and they called me and if I would have been there, I could have pulled the file and in about two minutes, problem done. I could not make them understand what I was saying. I'd say it and repeat it and say it and they couldn't and they just somehow or other, I don't know. At the time, I thought I'm communicating just as clearly as any human being ever has. But apparently I wasn't, or, or else they weren't listening. I don't know what was going on. But I could not make them understand what they needed to do in order to solve this problem. It, it just wasn't happening. And I got so frustrated. And the day had gone backwards anyway that day. And I so well remember in the afternoon that day, the little table that they put right there beside you, you know, that you can pull right over top of the bed so you can whatever. I was sitting up on the edge of the bed because I could do that. And I was overwhelmed, absolutely overwhelmed. And laid my head down on that table and just bawled like a little kid. Cried and cried and cried. I, I, I had no control over it anymore. And I knew I had to do something. And I tried to pray. I couldn't pray. I could not put a coherent sentence together to ask God for help. It just would not happen. I've talked to people that was hurting so bad and everything else was so frustrated and I was beyond the ability to string some letters together or some words together. I, I could have been perhaps like that little girl I heard about not too long ago when she, she was repeating the ABCs. And her mama said, what are you doing? She said, I'm praying. What do you mean you're praying? You're saying the ABCs. She said, yeah, but God's going to put them all together in words that, that he knows what I need to be praying. I had truly come to a time when when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit takes over, but only the Holy Spirit didn't take over that day. There I was, crying like a baby and absolutely could not even pray. Now, you're going to find this strange. But later on in the afternoon, I thought about Facebook. And I had, I don't remember if it was a laptop or whatever it was. Anyhow, whatever I had, I had it in there. Might have been an iPad, I don't know. But I had access to Facebook. And I roused myself up and wrote something on Facebook. It was real quick and simple. Something that, folks, I can't even pray. I'm in trouble. I need you to pray for me. And you know what it's like. I mean, when you put something out on Facebook, you almost get immediate responses. And people started writing back in right away. We're praying for you, Dale. We're praying for you. I remember a lady from Michigan further up here wrote something on there, and she said, Dale, don't worry, but we've got this. We've got this. We'll do the praying. And, they, and those well wishes came in from everywhere. 
And the most amazing thing was I, I forgot all about what I was doing. I didn't even think about it anymore. I didn't have any great sense of relief that came pouring over me or anything like that, but uh, somehow I forgot. I just forgot. If anybody tells you Facebook isn't worth anything, you shouldn't be messing with it. Let me just tell you, folks, you can be used for good. You really can. And that's what happened there. It was a couple of hours after that. There was a nurse came into my room to do the things nurses do. And she was there puttering around, you know, and, and uh, talking a bit. And I said to her when she came in, I said, I don't think I have seen you here before. And she said, oh, yeah, I was here when you were first brought out of the operating room several days ago. Oh, okay, well, I didn't remember you, sorry. And she worked for a few minutes. And then she stopped and looked around. She said, are you a preacher? I said, yeah, but why, why would you ask that? She said, there is such a peace in this room. And I'm telling you, a couple hours before that, there was a war going on in that room, and I was losing. But God's people bore my burden for me. And through the power of prayer, it all came back together again. But had I not had brothers and sisters who would bear my burden and present my case to the Lord, I don't, I don't know what would have happened. Because I was beyond my own ability to do anything. And so when I hear people speaking against Facebook, I always speak up and say, let me tell you a story. It can be used for good, in spite of all the nonsense that's on it. Anyway, that's the kind of thing that we need to be doing in bearing each other's burden. Don't leave someone out there all by themselves when they so obviously need help. So we're going to be carrying the load for other people. In order to do that, let me also give you the next thing we need to be doing, and that is we need to be cleaving to the Lord because we need help in carrying other people's burdens. We really do. We need help with that. And so we need to be able to cleave to the Lord for two different reasons. One is to keep us from falling. Considering yourself, lest thou also be tempted. Cleave to the Lord, and by the power of his word, claim that power, and by the power of his word, by the fellowship of his saints, and by the leading of his spirit, move in the power of God to bear the burdens of other people. Cleave to the Lord to equip you for service. To realize that we are nothing. We are nothing. To realize that it could be us with the problem. And to give us a heart for other people. You know, I look back in my notes on what I spoke about here the last time I was here nine years ago. I happened to notice that one of the sermons was, the title was, The Ministry of Suffering. The Ministry of Suffering. And I'm not going to repeat that sermon here this evening. But here, I, I, want, I just want to um, stop for just a moment and make this comment. I just mentioned to you that part of this whole process is to obtain a heart for others. Ask God to give you a heart for others. But let me tell you what gives you a heart for others. It's to go through that very thing yourself. That's what gives you a heart for others. You know where they are. Let me tell you what else it does. It equips you for service so that they know that you know. Most, I'm just making a judgment call here, but most of the time when people come and say, I know just how you feel. No, 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 you don't. You mean well, but no, you don't. 
you, you don't know all the circumstances and everything that's been happening. You don't know. You're, I, I appreciate what you're saying, but you really don't know. But you can have a heart for it. When we first got married, married on September the 10th, 1966, by October of 1967, we were supposed to have a child, a little girl, and it was stillborn at full term plus, 10-pound baby. Shirley never even got to see it. It was back in the days when they did things different than they do now, and she never even got to see the child. They had, it, they had her all wrapped up in a blanket, and I'm talking about the child, and brought her out in the hallway so that I could look at her. It was before the days of cell phones when there's no way you could just take a picture real quick or anything like that, so there's, there's nothing. I have a memory of a little girl in a blanket with a head full of hair. You know what happens when you're expecting a baby? You set up a nursery. You put all these things together. You're ready. The crib is there. The, the diapers are there. The quilts are there. Everything is there. You're ready for a child. And when the child doesn't make it, you've got to go back home and take all that apart. That's rough. That is really rough. But in spite of how hard that was in those days... I, I know how it feels and have been able to help minister to people ever since I've been in the ministry. When that kind of a thing happens, to be able to help them through it and really feel for them and identify with them. And I'd never have been able to do that had not God put us through it as well. He just wouldn't have. We have seven grandchildren. And every time when we first heard the news, you're going to, have a, you're going to be a grandfather again. Every time we'd start praying for them before they were born. I was out for meetings a long time ago now and, and went to somebody's house for supper one evening and got in there and, it was, uh, and he asked a question. He said, Dale, when did you become a grandfather? And I said, I, uh, I don't know. I can tell you when they were born, but, but I don't know when I became a grandfather. And right away, he turned to his wife and he said, see there? Oh, I... Didn't realize I was settling an argument here. <laughs> I'm simply saying the child is alive. Conception is life, period. And so we always began praying for him. And on every one of them, the pattern was the same. We never went to the hospital for the birth. I thought that's their business, not ours. But we'd wait for the call. And the moment we got the call, we head to the hospital. And the first thing in the routine is to run by the nursery and take a look. Sure enough a baby then you go to the room and take our daughter whichever one it was take him by the hand and pray ask for God's blessing on them as parents and pray for the child and it was a standard prayer Lord don't ever let them be cold don't ever let them be hungry don't ever make them suffer I know that's not realistic, but I'm a grandpa, and that's what grandpas do. But I have sense enough to know that without going through hardship and heartache and hard times, they wouldn't be worth anything to anybody. I know that. It's the same thing with everyone who was sitting here today. It's the hard times we go through that give us the heart for others who are going through it. And we can then help bear their burdens better than ever before.
We were at NQC, the National Quartet Convention this year. And I got a phone call from a pastor in Nebraska. And he said, Dale, did Kyle call you? And I said, no, what, what's going on? He said their daughter was carrying a baby full term and didn't live. I couldn't hold back the tears because of what happened to us 50-some years ago. Brother Paul Howell and his wife were walking down the aisle, down through where I was standing. They walked up to me and said, Dale, how are you doing? I said, not very well. And they came and talked to me about it, and we discussed their case. They had one like that too. And all I'm telling you is that by that, going through the experiences equipped us in ways that we would never be equipped to help people bear their burdens. And so that's, that's what I'm saying to you. The terrible times we go through ourselves will help us to help other people. And so let's do this. Let's continue in his love. I haven't made the point all that clear, but we're going to carry the load to bear our brother's burdens. We're going to cleave to the Lord so he can help us in bearing our brother's burdens. And we're going to continue in his love. I read for you this evening here in Galatians. I need to turn back there again. Hold on. In Galatians chapter 6, I read to you about this whole business that we will reap what we sow. Maybe you missed that as I read it. What did I do with this? Here we are. You know how to remember where these little books are back in the back, back end of the Bible? I heard a lady preacher talking about this one time. She said, just remember, God eats popcorn. It's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Here we are. Galatians chapter 6. And it says here in verse 8. Said he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Yes. Yes. When we come to somebody else's assistance and we begin to bear their burdens, we are indeed sowing to the spirit. We're following his direction, doing what he said to do, and using the preparation in our own lives that God has given us by the experiences we've had, by the knowledge we've attained in order to be able to help somebody else. And in due season, we will reap if we faint not. Our message here this evening is not going to be as long as some of the others have been. But nonetheless, I want to get across to you, it is so important that we bear one another's burdens. I want to remind you again, we may feel like we're invincible. Young people do. I did. You land on your nose a few times, you'll discover you're not as invincible as you thought you were. And every one of us will get to a point where somebody is going to have to help us. And you get to where you can't do it yourself and somebody else to do it. Rather humbling. But it's also a wonderful thing to realize that brothers and sisters love you and they come to your aid. After one of those hospital stints, I don't remember what their deal was. If we had branches across our yard or what, I don't remember. But one of our, grand, our, our son-in-laws and grandchildren came over to the house and they were out there in the yard and they were working and cleaning up and I could hardly walk. And I had to sit inside on the rocker and sit there and look out the windows and they were working and I was crying. But I needed help. 
and they brought it to me. Folks, when somebody needs your help, be Christ-like, help them. Don't just ask them what you can do. You can see something that's obvious you could help them with. Help them. That's what God would have us do. Heavenly Father, thank you for the admonition that we have here in this, in this portion of Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for telling us plainly, bear one another's burdens. Lord, when someone else needs help, bless me with the ability to be able to help them. Lord, when I need help, bless somebody with the ability to come help me. Lord, I really believe that this is what you have for all of us to do, to be like you, to help, to bear burdens, to do whatever we can to restore the dignity of those around us who need help. Father, would you bless us this evening as we endeavor to do that. Send us forth from this place with a determination to be more alert, more awake to what people need and how we can help them. Again, I pray you would have added your blessing to what has been said here this evening. And Father, in every way, would you bring forth good from what has been said. And I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thank you for being here tonight. I, I so appreciate your presence. Tomorrow evening, we're going to be back on to a subject of um, the coming of the Lord. We're going to begin preaching out of Genesis. I believe it's chapter 41. We'll go through the story of Joseph, the story of the Savior, and our soon coming king. He comes as a king. He came the first time as a sacrifice, but he's coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. Come back tomorrow night. I'd love to see you. As soon as you get on your feet, you're all dismissed. You got time for McDonald's. <laughs>